Welcome back to the Warped and Wicked Podcast. I'm Crystal. I'm Jenny. And I'm Jennifer. Hi, spooky friends. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our two-part series on the case against Pam Smart. Now, buckle up, because we are about to embark on a series on Herb Baumeister. So guys, we're going to start this episode a bit differently than we have in our previous ones, and I kind of hope that you like the way we're doing this one. We're going to start towards the end of the story, and it's during the summer of 1996. Julie Baumeister had just sent her husband, Herb, on a trip to visit his mother at her retirement condo by Lake Wawasee to relax. You see, in recent months, Herb seemed to kind of be unraveling. He was drinking heavily every day, berating his employees at the Save-A-Lot store, and was becoming more and more paranoid as the days passed. He was also at the center of a multiple murder investigation, so, you know... That kind of does a number on one's psyche. It's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Under pressure. So Julie found out that last detail not too long before this. And when police first approached her with their request to search her property at Fox Hollow Farm, she quickly denied them access. This was, of course, at the request of Herb, who had already spoken with the police before they got to Julie. But after a few weeks, she really couldn't take Herb's antics anymore, so she sent him away to Lake Wawasee filed for divorce, and contacted the police. It's a very big day. It's a big day. Because per the book that I read, that all happened in one damn day. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's eventful. I'd have to take a nap at some point in between the three of those. I'm sure the adrenaline was kicked in high gear. When Julie spoke with Detective Mary Wilson, she dropped a bombshell. Her son had stumbled upon a skull on their property a year prior, and then a skeleton was found shortly after. So after telling Mary Wilson all this, Julie gave police permission to search the property. So when police first got there, they searched the indoor pool area and found it to be surrounded by mannequins. That's creepy. (laughs) Creepy AF. (laughs) Well, he had like a a pawn shop type thing or like an antique shop, right? A thrift store, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure some of those were from there. That's what I didn't start thinking until like, I don't know, like halfway through my research. I was like, that makes sense. When I was younger, I worked at Sears, guys, (laughs) (laughs) with my grandma and my cousin. But yeah, I was the one who would like set up all the stuff on the floor. Yeah. So I'd go in the back room and that's where all the mannequins would be and it's usually pretty dark and they changed the lighting Ooh, where creepy. it was like motion censored. Oh God. Oh. So uh, after so long of being back there, it'll turn off. Oh hell no. Yeah. No. That was really scary. No. That would be like part of my personal hell. Yeah. Like <laughs> I don't want to go back there. You can't make Tripping me. over racks, trying not to punch a mannequin because you think it's like some serial killer, but <laughs> So the cops also happened to find in this indoor pool area a hidden camera with no videotape in it. And that will come into play eventually. Okay. As the police officer's attention turned towards the garden area, human remains were found almost immediately. Bones and blackened teeth were strewn across almost every inch of the gardens. Partial remains of a human skull were also quickly located. In total, over 5,000 bones which were believed to be the remains of 11 men, 
would be found on the property at Fox Hollow Farm. Police would later suspect Herb Baumeister of killing an additional 12 men in a different string of murders. However, Herb would never be prosecuted for any of these deaths. <laughs> wow. Holy shit. So let's get into the background of one of the most notorious serial killers from Indiana. Herb was born on April 7, 1947. He was the oldest of four children born to Elizabeth and Herb Baumeister Sr., and he was an anesthesiologist. So good money. And because of this, Herb grew up in Washington Township, which is north of Indianapolis. During his childhood, he was smart and a practical joker. He grew up wealthy, but he also remembered what life was like while his dad was making a life for the family because he was the oldest, so he got to watch all that occur. Right. And so during Herb's childhood, he did have a close circle of friends, and he seemed to be popular among his peers. Then puberty hit, and everything changed. Herb never dated in high school, and he really didn't seem to have any interest in girls. He wasn't athletic, and with a school that was primarily focused on sports, he never really felt like he fit in, which is sad. Yeah. Right now at this point, it's sad. Yeah, everybody wants to have their little spot, their little Mm -hmm. group. Everybody wants to belong. Yeah. Everybody wants to be what? Belong. Belong. Oh. (laughs) Belong. They want to be belong. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, sure. Sure. Was he short? I wish I was a little bit taller. Taller. (laughs) 90s radio all weekend. That was a fucking kick-ass song. I love that song. Skilo, I think, was his name. Hell yeah. I wonder if he did ever get taller. Probably not. Maybe. He had that surgery where they... Yeah. Elongate your bones. The B-long surgery. (laughs) He really wanted to be long so bad. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Okay. No, you're fine. He wanted to be long. (laughs) Don't start again. (laughs) So instead of falling into the background... Herb decided to stand out, and we've all met kids in junior high and high school that were like this. It's unclear whether Herb realized at this point in time that he was attracted to other young men. He seemed to be most interested in death and all things morbid, or the macabre. The macabre. The macabre. The macabre. And Herb would blurt out whatever was on his mind at any given moment, which he always had done that, but these thoughts were becoming more and more disturbing. So, for example... One day while he was playing with a group of boys, he wondered out loud what urine would taste like and whether it would taste better warm or cold. Then he chased the boys around begging for a drink. And yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) If you could see the look on these two, (laughs) Jennifer and Crystal's faces right now. Being a kid, like, did he let his intrusive thoughts take over? Right. Or was he just that fucking psych? I mean, obviously the answer is... Yeah, like, did he was just that fucking that, psycho, yeah. but because you know we all have those moments like, oh shit, did I say that out loud? Like, was this my intrusive the- <laughs> thoughts took over? <laughs> Son of a bitch, not again. <laughs> well, I guess he had always been like, like he never had a filter. He just like whatever he was thinking, he would say. Yeah, but like as a kid, it wasn't like outlandish things. It just it was just the older he got. So mm. I mean, let that's... me take it up a notch. Yeah. I mean, I think the pee thing's pretty out there. but Pretty out there. So this would, you know, be attributed, because he's a preteen, teenage boy, 
It's just attributed as boys being boys. You know, yeah. that old fucking saying. Because teenage boys like to talk about some gross stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, we knew that because we grew up with teenage boys, but I am very sure of that now. <laughs> currently. Currently yeah. my life. Yeah. So as the years went on, Herb continued to escalate and display antisocial behavior. One day, he found a dead crow on the side of the road. He crouched down and stared at this crow, touching it with his fingers and leaning in to smell it. And on more than one occasion, he placed a dead crow on a teacher's desk. And to top all that off, he even urinated on a teacher's desk at one point. What? <laughs> now, being curious because of, of a dead crow, I get that. Like, I kids, do too. take like, a I stick would, out there, yeah, poke it. Poke it, it with the stick. Don't poke it with your finger. Right. Now, <laughs> it's very problematic when a dead crow shows up. I feel like, that is that like a spell? That is, is he casting a spell on his of, teacher? Yeah, what is some that? Some kind of omen. Omen, yes. They said mm-hmm. like if you help a crow, they will always remember you and yeah. they'll come back. And so that would be the opposite of that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I feel the like opposite of that. There's something to it. I think so. I think I just saw on Facebook the other day. I think I shared the meme to share it on our Warped and Wicked page. Could be very wrong right now, but I think crows hold grudges. They do. I strive to be that petty. Oh, man. So due to all of this craziness, the school requested that Herb's parents seek professional help for his behavior, which seems to be the most appropriate recommendation of all time. But of course, they didn't. Because if Herb had been sent to the right doctor, they would have recognized his psychopathy And he probably would have been diagnosed with schizophrenia and sent away to a psychiatric hospital. But in the 60s, there weren't really any meds to treat this condition quite yet. And her probably would have been treated with electroconvulsive therapy. So that would have sucked. And like his dad knew this, right? Because his dad's from a medical background. So he probably didn't want to put his son through that. And it's the 60s, so it's kind of like... We're just going to shove this down. Deep, deep and down. And everything's going to be okay. <laughs> We're just going to hope for the best here. Right. <laughs> so he didn't get the treatment that he needed. I mean, nobody did back then. So so this is about the time that Herb really begins to compartmentalize his life to pretty much fake a semblance of rational behavior. So per the book that I read about this case, the beginning of the title is You Think You Know Me. And it's by a man named Ryan Green. So I thought this quote kind of summed this up pretty well. It says, Psychopaths are often characterized as lacking any internal life. Their only understanding of morality, empathy, and emotion are the outward expressions of those things, which they mimic to help them blend in. Hmm. Kind of what they all do, as we'll see throughout our whole entire podcast. Right. After high school graduation, Herb attended college at Indiana University, where his family status didn't really help him, which I thought was kind of weird because there's the IU School of Medicine and his dad's a doctor, but whatever. So basically, during this time, he was called out on his weird behavior or ignored altogether in his classes. This go-around, he actually quit before the first semester was over, and he returned home to live with his parents. Okay, like say you were a professor and you've got this whack job in your class. I would ignore them too. Yeah. I would totally pretend that you were not there and hope the building burned down and we'd have to cancel <laughs> classes. 
like show up every day and be like, damn it, it's still standing and I God, have to deal with her. Pete on my desk again. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Ah, oh, God. We're going to potty train him. Get one of those little shock collars. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> no herb. No, no herb. Get the newspaper. Swapped his nose. Which is kind of a segue into this next part of his life. <laughs> he went on to be a copy boy at the Indianapolis Star. <laughs> this was through his dad's connections, of course. And at the beginning, you know, he made sure to dress up in suits every day and he showed up to work on time and he didn't do great on the journalistic side of things, but he made friends in the more business oriented advertising department. He even became close with the advertising executive. And it was this guy who would simply say, that's just Herb, when people would complain about his twisted sense of humor and his creepiness. And people complained about, you know, the weird stares he would give and all of his gross jokes, which I'm sure were pretty disgusting. Oh, yeah. Herb even laughed through a discussion of how bodies decompose with a journalist. Yikes. He is red like, flag. I was getting ready to say, you were a walking red flag. Yeah. Another time he offered to drive the advertising executive friend and some of his friends to an IU football game. And when he showed up, he got out of the vehicle in a chauffeur's cap and he joked about being at their service. What's even crazier is he had shown up in a hearse, which he bought from a local mortuary. Now, like, if it wasn't her Baumeister, I'd be like, cool, a right. hearse. Right. <laughs> We're going to ride in a hearse today. But I'm sure his advertising executive friend was not expecting that and was probably pretty no. creeped out and embarrassed. Yeah, I think, <laughs> you know, he's accepted that you're pretty eccentric, but then mm -hmm. there's like, I don't know what's past that. Right. And that's where he's at. Yeah. Shockingly, during this whole ordeal with the Indianapolis Star, Herb wasn't getting the respect he felt he deserved. And that'll be a common theme. So he began snubbing the people he once tried to flatter, and then he ultimately quit this job. And this infuriated his father, which is very understandable. So Herb was sent back to college. However, it wasn't for like a full semester of classes. He wasn't taking like, I don't know, four or five classes at a time. He was going to take one course. And guess which course Herb picked out? Criminology. That kind of would have made some sort of sense. I'm going to something like funeral directing or... Human anatomy. Well, that makes sense. Mm, that was going to be my second guess. <laughs> and he picked out this class in the hopes that he would perform an autopsy by the end of it. Yeah, I don't know. That's creepy. I, I didn't do an autopsy in my anatomy class. No. But this time around in college... Herb focused on his studies, probably because he was super interested in human anatomy, and he didn't act so outwardly bizarre. And it was also around this time that he started to visit gay bars and drag shows, and he made casual friends in this scene along the way. Herb then joined the university's Young Republicans Club while taking his human anatomy class. With this club, though, he didn't really joke around with anyone. So people didn't really get to see his outlandish side while he was there. So it's like he, again, it was like, like a double life. Yeah. And like with a lot of these people, like he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. There's reasons why he's doing yeah, it. Yeah. He's going to cover up his crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all do that within reason, you know, certain yeah. circumstances like, hey, you're going to be around this group of people. Probably won't talk about this kind of stuff, but then I get around this group of people and it's fair game. Right. You know. We're just not like poking dead crows no. with our fingers or peeing <laughs> on people's desks. Yeah. <laughs> I have never done that, I promise. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you could get me mad enough, really. No. 
So this Young Republicans Club was where he met his future wife, and her name is Juliana Sater. She was already a high school English teacher by this point, and she was taking classes at the university part-time. They obviously shared the same political views, and they also had an interest in cars as well. They shared that. And to Julie, Herb was handsome enough. To me, no, but to Julie, he was all right. Decent looking. And they began dating shortly after. So at this point, Herb's kind of finding himself at a crossroads in his life. Which is very different from the Britney Spears movie. She just wanted to find her mother in Tucson. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not a girl. I knew this would happen. Not yet a woman. I always think of that song and then when she did the... Was that the I Love Rock and Roll song? Oh, yeah, at the bar. At the bar. I love that movie. To win some money. Guilty pleasure. For sure. (laughs) For sure. So at Herb's crossroads in life, he could take the path his father wanted for him, which was to marry a woman, raise a family, and have a normal career. Or there was the path of all the things he was hiding, to be a gay man in the Midwest in the 60s and the 70s, who just so happened to be obsessed with corpses and, again, all things morbid. Which, like... Gay man in the Midwest? Awesome. Interested in things morbid? Cool. But, like, not the corpses, bro. We don't need to be touching corpses and wanting to autopsy people if we're not a mortician. Right. So, of course, you know, Herb chose the path that was prescribed by his father. And at this point, like, after he started dating Julie, he stopped going to gay bars for a time. Herb Sr. absolutely loved Julie. But Herb's mother was not a fan. She was kind of torn between believing Julie wasn't good enough for Herb, which, seriously. Really? Yeah. (laughs) While also wanting to warn her about Herb's bizarre acts. To me, like, I don't understand how those two beliefs are able to occur at the same time. Like, if you think your kid's, like, bizarre enough that you want to warn the person they're dating, then you can't really be like, you're not good enough for my son. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and you've literally been told by doctors that he needs help yeah Mm -hmm. elizabeth kept her mouth shut though resolving to pay julie hush money if she witnessed some of her son's unsavory interests what pay her yeah she's like i'll just pay her off it's fine i wonder what his mother considered quote unquote his uh unsavory right what did she see him do that she wasn't telling anybody i never thought about that well it had to be big enough to pay her off are you talking about like well if you ever see him killing crows and peeing on things just ignore it (laughs) we go to the clubs and wee on each other (laughs) (laughs) he chases you around asking to taste your pee (laughs) ignore it (laughs) how much cash do you want julie it's fine (laughs) so herb's father again reached out to some of his contacts to find a job for Herb. But he failed (laughs) in several interviews. You know, something about him rubbed interviewers the wrong way. He lacked empathy. And his humor, if you could really call it that, exuded chaos. Herb was floundering in life. Except for dating Julie, I guess. Yeah. And his parents, you know, stressed him out, probably because they were like, Stop being so weird. Yeah. (laughs) Stop being so weird, Herb. (laughs) But they're probably like, look, dude, like, we're trying everything. Like, we're sending you to college. Okay, college isn't a fit. We're trying to get you a job, and you fuck it up at every turn. Yeah. At this point, he didn't really have relationships with his siblings either because they all distanced themselves from him. I think I would have too. Yeah. But Herb got some jobs... At various small businesses. And, uh, in be- you know, as he's going in, in and out of jobs, 
he decided to propose to Julie. And they married in November of 1971 at the United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. It sounds like it was a pretty big wedding. Like, they had their extended family there. There were, you know, friends from college, friends from the Young Republicans Club. And then there were also Herb Sr.'s social connections that were there. And I found this next part pretty interesting. So, leading up to and during the wedding ceremony, Herb was calm, collected, and charming. And it seems like whenever Herb found himself in an unfamiliar social situation or placed in a position where he was lacking in confidence, he'd somehow default to being serious and having a calm demeanor. Which, like, that's the total opposite of me because, like, when I'm put in a stressful situation and I don't have confidence in it, I'm like, ah! <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> I need a grown-up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess for him, it was kind of like putting on a mask. And whenever he felt sure of himself, that was when he would allow his true self to show to other people. So after the wedding, because he was cool, calm, and collected and charismatic, he started getting a lot of offers for job interviews. You know, they got money from their wedding, but Herb's parents gave the newlyweds some money and they were able to take out a mortgage for a small home in the suburbs. So they're living together now, guys. And they're married. God, I feel like that's important. <laughs> Mental note. Mental, Mental note. <laughs> so initially, Herb and Julie spent all of their free time together. And Herb showered Julie with love and affection. But there were issues going on in the Baumeister household. Particularly in the bedroom. See, this is where the married and living together. No cheesecake together. in the bed wall? No. Sorry, that's something my mom used to say. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I was like I'm gonna need to know where mom came up with that. I don't know. Uh, okay, I need to cut s- that out. <laughs> Too weird. <laughs> Shut up, Herb. Oh, shit, that's <laughs> so Julie, you know, she kind of began noticing that Herb never changed clothes in front of her. He always changed clothes in the bathroom. And the really interesting part of this is Julie would never see Herb naked, ever. And whenever she made sexual advances towards her husband, he withdrew physically and emotionally. He's not even, like, doing all the things you can do to love another person outside of sex. Like, he wasn't showering her with affection and he stopped doing that because she kept trying to get him to have sex with her. Which, this is total speculation, but I can't even say this because it's not my life. But I would assume that, like, if you're secretly homosexual... You're probably afraid to do these loving things because you're afraid it's going to lead to sex that you don't want. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm just speculating on that. I'm kind of like betraying yourself and not being true to who you actually are. And I would see that doing a lot more damage to you mentally Mm -hmm. because you're trying to fit in a box that you don't belong in. Yeah. And it's like that aspect of his life. I feel bad for him. And I feel bad for him like when he's a kid. He's a fucking monster. So it's kind of hard to, right. you know what I mean? I think we just overall feel bad for anyone that has to go through that. Yeah. <laughs> so Herb, by this point, he begins to crack under the pressure because he's trying to seem normal. And, you know, he feels like he has, he's supposed to be, you know, perform sexually with someone that he wasn't even attracted to. So to me, it seems that Herb would react in the opposite way that people usually react to stress. He seemed more normal and became quiet whenever he was in a super stressful situation Mm -hmm. and his father could sense this when he came to visit julie and herb they were about six months into their marriage 
And when his father came to visit, like, there were no arguments between the two of them. And, you know, Herb Sr. told his son, like, you know, you need to follow up on some of these interviews that I've gotten for you. And Herb just passively agreed to it. Like, there was no butting heads. And within 24 hours of this visit, Herb's father had him committed to a mental institution. This, of course, was with Julie's approval, because they're married. So I'm sure she had to have some sort of say in it. Legally, yeah, I would think. Yeah, spouse. Yeah. And he would be there for two months. Mm. So this weirded him out so bad that it was like, okay. Yeah, I feel like there has to be something. And again, we can't ask either one of them. Yeah, something had to have happened. Something had to have happened, like, as he grew up. Maybe he would have, like, outbursts. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just go off the deep end whenever he started being more reserved and quiet and not argumentative, maybe. Mm. And he was like, oh, shit, I better get him somewhere, Hmm. is what I'm assuming. Right. So he was admitted to this facility with the initial diagnosis of depression. But it wasn't long before the staff realized Herb had a whole other set of issues to deal with. And because Herb compartmentalized his dark impulses, ones that he wouldn't even discuss with the doctors, it led the staff to believe he was a schizophrenic who used this mental barrier as a means to protect himself from hallucinations and harmful ideation. So he wasn't like outright saying like, I like messing with corpses and, you know, I do what's really going on in my head. Mm -hmm. So because they didn't know that, they assumed he was schizophrenic. And, like, back in the day, schizophrenia tended to be, like, a catch-all diagnosis for various unusual conditions. So they're just like, you're different. Schizophrenia. Right. We don't have a name for this yet. Schizophrenia. And doctors would later tack on the diagnosis of multiple personality disorder. Guys, we didn't live through this, but, like, from listening to a lot of true crime, like, the 70s was definitely a time when this condition was sensationalized. There was, is there a book and a movie called Sybil? Yeah. Where it was about a woman with multiple personality Mm -hmm. disorder. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the Hillside Stranglers, that was at the end of the 70s, I think. One of them tried to say he had multiple personality disorder. Okay. And he got found out real quick. Mm -hmm. He's an idiot. And we won't go too in-depth in this, but uh, it was later realized that there there's only been like two to three actual cases of multiple personality disorder, which is now called dissociative identity disorder. There's only been like two to three actual cases ever. Yeah, like legit real. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And the interesting thing about all this was Herb welcomed having these diagnoses because they took away all his responsibility for his actions. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to have sex with men. That was someone else who was inhabiting his body. He didn't want to play with dead bodies. That was another one of his personalities. It wasn't Herb. No. So in essence, Herb felt like he was just an innocent bystander in his own body. Now, like, whether he truly believed that or not, I don't know. But I can see how he's like, yes, I can use this. That's it. We're going with that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, after he was diagnosed with these two conditions, it seemed to break him out of his depression and he was discharged from the mental institution shortly after. By this point, there were medications for schizophrenia, but despite that, many doctors, including Herb's own father, believe these medications were a crutch for the weak-willed and that mental illness was a product of moral failing. You know, a lot of people believe that. Like, Still. Yeah. It's like, a stigma, and that's the... My dad was, like, when I would talk about, like, anxiety and things... 
He was like, you don't need medication for that. He's like, you just need to deal with your shit. But that was, you know, when I was a kid. Yep. But like as I think as he's got older, take medication, go mm-hmm. talk to somebody. And it's like, where you? was this where when I was younger? Where was this when I, I needed therapy yeah. and medication? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So after Herb gets out of the mental institution, this is the time that Herb and Julie have sex for the very first time. Mm. So they had been married like eight months by this point, And this is the first time that they have sex. And just as a side note, they only had sex about, I'm pretty sure it was six, but various sources, five or six times total during their entire marriage. And mm. their marriage lasted nearly 25 years. Holy crap. You know, this would never have flown way back in the day because if you didn't consummate your marriage, it didn't happen. Wow. I don't even know what to say. I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Our listeners could probably say that about 10 times an episode at least, especially during the Gary Ridgway series. I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. (sighs) You know, he gets out of the mental institution. They have sex. This was also the time that Herb started telling Julie he's going to start spending some time alone to gather his thoughts, which, again, that's appropriate in a normal, healthy relationship, right? He told her he planned to take long drives, Go for walks out in nature, spend time at the library. Hell, he may even reconnect with some of his old friends. That's what he tells Julie. You know, she accepted this without question because she's a loving, supportive wife. Now, I know you will be shocked to hear this, but Herb was actually passing his alone time by going out to gay clubs and hooking up with other men. (gasps) I know you're shocked, guys. I knew exactly where that was going. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You've been where? <laughs> <laughs> so through his connections, yet again, Herb's father got him a job. This time it was at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, which that's where <laughs> all the happiness in the world is at. <laughs> Not stressful at all. Nobody's ever upset. Everybody's smiling. Yeah. Oh, gosh. What a rough time to work there because you couldn't do anything online. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, again, at the beginning of this job, Herb was calm, collected, and professional. But within a few weeks, his attitude began to shift. He berated coworkers for simple mistakes. And this shocked them so much that most of them didn't even attempt to defend their actions because, like, it's kind of like gaslighting in a way, I think. Another word. (laughs) Is that gaslighting where, like... Kind of, maybe, I don't know. Just unexpected. Like, he's been this meek, mild manner man uh, for two weeks, and then he's screaming at you. No. Yeah, that's not gaslighting. Is it? Again. Gaslighting is like, you told me that you were upset with me, mm-hmm. and then I basically was like, all the reasons why I'm not the problem, but you are. Yeah. That's yeah. gaslighting. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So, it's just very unexpected. Yeah. You know, I could think of a couple people that, like, I have interactions with, and if they started screaming at me, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, shocked. Yeah. yeah. Shocked, shocked and scared. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Like, nowadays, it'd be like, is he going to bring a gun and shoot no. this place up? Shit. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, while he's, like, giving people shit for simple mistakes, Herb is ensuring that he's completing all his work perfectly. So despite complaints from his coworkers, Herb's superiors believed he was management material. Okay. You know. 70s. Because they always promote the best the, workers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter if they're assholes. Right. right. <laughs> like, oh, good. The least qualified person in the building exactly. is my boss That's, now. Yeah. Why? Why I does quit. that always happen? <laughs> Every <Yeah>. time. 
So he began to work his way up the ladder at the BMV. But his flamboyant jokes didn't land. And his practical jokes were considered to be utterly tasteless. And on one Christmas, he even handed out cards with a picture of him posing with a drag queen. Which, again, if it wasn't her Baumeister, I would have thought this was pretty fucking cool. In all honesty. Yeah. We love drag queens. Yes, we do. That's right. But this was also the 70s. So rumors began to spread throughout the office that Herb may be secretly gay. Uh, they were right. Yeah, it's like, read the room. Right. <laughs> Context clues. <laughs> but this set Herb back at the BMV, and it took nearly a decade for him to get that promotion that he thought he deserved. Which, like I've said numerous times in this episode, it's total bullshit that he was judged that way for being possibly secretly gay. Being an asshole. Right. It's just kind of fucked up in my head that, like, oh, he's an asshole, but he does stuff perfectly. He's management material, but shame on him for posing with a drag queen. That's what is the issue here. You know what I mean? Like, that just pisses me off. I wonder if he told his wife that, hey, honey, I'm going to take these cards to work and hand them out to my coworkers. That's the thing. Like, he had to secretly get these pictures. Yeah. Make Christmas cards out of them somehow because this is before a shutterfly. And, you know, e-cards. Had to go get these made. You mean to and tell me he didn't out. get a mug made? Or a blanket? <laughs> Fridge magnet? <laughs> but anyways, following Herb's promotion, he didn't get along with his new boss. Again, I know you're shocked. Mm-hmm. Because he had no clue how to interact with a superior. And so they butted heads several times. But Herb's work continued to be impeccable. And his subordinates did amazing work as well. Probably because they were terrified to make a mistake because their boss would most likely yell at them till no end. Yeah. That's what I'm assuming. So with Herb getting this promotion, Julie decided to stop working and they moved into a larger house. And while Julie wanted to begin having children, Herb tried his best to resist her advances. He also began to frequent male sex workers in Indianapolis. And uh, I also found this uh, while I was reading the book. During this time frame, there were also a few police reports filed about a man getting rough with male sex workers, but the press didn't bother to pick up that story. Julie would eventually give birth to three children, a daughter in 1979, a son in 1981, and another daughter in 1984. That was like half the sex. Yeah. It was three out of the five Were you doing the math over there? (laughs) (laughs) I saw you looking at your screen. It was half the sex. (laughs) Or maybe over half if it was only five times that they had. That's true. Three out of five. She made it count. She did. She She knew she had to. Yeah. (laughs) It's the only way I'm getting my kids. But by all accounts, Herb was a doting father. In fact, he spent most of his time outside of work with his children. You know, outside of doing all the other things he keeps hidden. But the stress of his work and his home life became too much. Herb needed to release some of it. And what more appropriate way to do this than to urinate on his boss's desk? Wow. (laughs) When in doubt, do what you know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He did what he loved. He did what he loved. And he did this for months. But no one could prove it was him. I'm sorry. I know there were fucking cameras in the 1970s. Like, you're on candid camera. (laughs) Pissing on your doctors. Your doctors. (laughs) Your boss's desk. Oh, Oh, shit. 
and nobody wanted to confront Herb or face the lawsuits he would likely file if the VMV tried to let him go unfairly. So, management was silent as to who the culprit was. And this led co-workers to begin to think that maybe it wasn't Herb. Maybe he was too obvious of a suspect. But finally, Herb's escapades, or piscapades would probably be more appropriate, <laughs> they went a little too far. Oh. <laughs> One day in 1985, there was a letter to the governor that was left on Herb's boss's desk. And it was soaked in urine, along with everything else that was placed on the desk. And this, for some reason, was a step too far. Management told Herb that if he left quietly that same day, that they wouldn't tell the public about his office antics. Which, it just keeps solidifying that he can get away with doing stupid shit with no real consequences. Like, that's gotta be what's going on in his head right now. Yeah, he lost his job, but he escaped public scrutiny. And I think that's a big deal to him. And his father always seemed to be able to scrounge up a job for him one way or another. So, okay, I worked here for a while, got in trouble, left, on to the next place to piss on somebody's desk. Yeah, I'm like, I I think I would definitely call and check his references. Yeah, that's an uncomfortable conversation to have, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) But the rumors were circulating around about all of Herb's other antics, and he had to work some odd jobs for about a year. A lot of them were sales jobs that required quite a bit of traveling. Julie also went back to work part-time. But again, like, this is a very interesting piece of information. Things seemed to go pretty well for Herb's mental state during this. So Julie encouraged him to continue with these pursuits. But eventually Herb said he missed his family too much and decided to get a full-time job in Indy. Herb Sr. was able to get his son an entry-level job as a sales clerk at a thrift shop. And even though he was the reason for his failures in life, Herb was not very grateful for the strings his dad had to pull for him this time around. He found the job to be menial and degrading. He believed all of his talents were just being wasted in such a place. He began to pick apart the management of the store because, you know, in Herb's mind, a place like that could be extremely profitable with just a bit of effort. But when he talked to his new boss about this, He didn't feel the same way, and he discouraged Herb from taking any initiative to make things better around the store. Then things took a turn about two years into this sales clerk job. Herb's father passed away. And with that, we can assume some things changed in Herb's mind. And I'm going to quote the book I read again, uh, because it does sum this up pretty well. So, quote, Herbert Sr. was the focus of so much of his son's anger. His unattainable goal of overwhelming fiscal success was driven entirely by attempts to best the old man. Every accomplishment was just another attempt at gaining his distant father's approval. With his death, Herbert Sr. put an end to all of that. He would never see his son best him. He would never give the unconditional love and admiration that Herb was seeking. Emotionally, this was now a dead end. On the other hand, Any restraint that Herb might have shown in his life to prevent his father from discovering his secret shame was now thoroughly undone. It was as if God was no longer watching. Unquote. So basically, he didn't have to impress his father anymore, and then he could do whatever the fuck he wanted. Mm -hmm. That's probably how he felt. But Herb didn't immediately spiral out of control after his father's passing, and discussions we'll have in a later episode will put into question whether this event truly was the catalyst for Herb to become a serial killer. Shortly after his father's funeral, Herb had a new ambition. He wanted to open his own thrift store. 
So Julie and Herb spent months traveling throughout Indiana and Ohio to visit auctions and consider the saleable quality of potential job lots. After Herb's third year of working at the thrift store, he asked his mother for a loan, which was about $4,000, to get his business started. And Herb gave his notice the following day. So Herb and Julie's Save-A-Lot thrift store opened in 1988. The store was also backed by the Children's Bureau of Indianapolis, which is an established charity that benefited local families. I guess a lot of thrift stores get backing from local charities. Mm. I had no clue. Customers were surprised by how organized and clean the store was compared to other local thrift stores, and it soon became a favorite place to shop for a lot of people. Save-A-Lot even turned a profit of $50,000 in its first year in 1988. Right. Like, that's crazy. So during the second year of business, the couple opened a second location. Herb managed one store while Julie managed the other. By the third year, they had enough staff to take over the day-to-day tasks, so they could probably get a little more relaxation out of it. And with the success of their stores, the Baumeisters were able to move into Westfield, which is a city in Hamilton County, and it's about 20 miles outside of Indianapolis. They purchased a Tudor-style mansion called Fox Hollow Farm. The property had four bedrooms, an indoor swimming pool, a riding stable, and over 18 acres of land. The same land that Julie would allow police to search for human remains five years later. And it's with the deaths of the men whose remains were found on this land that we will return next week for part two of Herb Baumeister. So thank you all for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or share it on social and tag us at Warped and Wicked Podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to help new listeners find us. And of course, if you have a case suggestion, send those to us at warpedandwickedpodcast at gmail.com. We appreciate all of your support. And until next time, stay safe and stay spooky, friends.
Sorry. No, 